0: Hello, and welcome to Davis on Davis, and today we are talking about the final episode of Queer as Folk. Folks, we've made it to the end of our very first show here, me and Louis. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited.
1: There's actually two more episodes after this. What? yeah this is the end of series one but afterwards there's a series two that consists of two episodes so
0: so so you let you let me open open the episode by myself for the very first time you let me me get it wrong yes i did i'm I'm, I'm never doing this ever again (laughs)
1: And welcome to Davis on Davis. This is a podcast all about Russell T. Davis and almost all the shows he has written. Today we're checking out series one, episode eight of Queer as Folk. This is the series finale. This is where quite a few plot lines are going to get wrapped up, but the characters aren't going to all die. So there is is still going to be room for a a second series.
0: In my defense... This was it always intended to be the end, and it was just because the show was such a smash hit that two additional episodes were written. So I think a lot of what we think about today and the way the show ends, there is going to be a lot of this was the intended ending. So anyway, before we get into the show, um, have you done anything this week? That's a very good question. I suppose the most exciting thing I've done this week, um, which is quite sad, really, is I don't know if the listener at home will notice that I seem to have improved in audio qualities rapidly. I hope I hope you've noticed. Know- well, on the one hand, I hope you noticed. But on the other hand, I hope that my audio quality wasn't so bad before, that it's so noticeable, that I'm now using a broadcast standard microphone that I've um, borrowed from my uh, my university. So yeah, I no longer sound like louis a radio host and i'm just some weird caller in on the radio station that sort of sounds so far away i hope that it sounds like we're sat in the same room um have i actually ever met louis that's that's a big question yes
1: that will be answered in the q a special what about
0: you louis I th- um, what, what have you been up to
1: um not much i i guess the most interesting thing is i'm looking to submit my uh station i did at the end of last year to a journal and so, journal specifications and requirements mm. and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is... I'm looking at... I'm like, it'll be good to, you know, hopefully get something published. But this is going to be a one-time thing. I'm not doing this twice. <laughs> That's the extent of it. I have not done... I have not done much at all since we last recorded. Must admit.
0: Maybe, maybe we only recorded five seconds ago. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we record all of these episodes, like, in one day. Maybe we just sat in one sitting... That's why two episodes in a row I said I did the same thing when I went out to Withington. A listener wrote in to me personally um, and said, Why do I keep banging on about going to Withington? So I apologize.
1: Well, I guess maybe this would be a good time to announce, that now if you want to write into us, you don't need to personally know Zach. You can <laughs> you can write into our public email, which is Davis on Davis Pod, no spaces, no underscores, all one word, at gmail.com so that's the name of this podcast, Davis on Davis, and then the the three letters P O
0: D. I really want to know who's taken the name Davis on Davis at gmail.com. Because outside of this very specific context, what does that mean, Davis on Davis? Does that mean a man called Davis is on top of another man called Davis?
1: Or or on top of a woman called Davis who, who took his surname.
0: Oh oh right, yeah. I sorry I forgot I forgot straight people exist.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny, like my parents got married in Canada where the default is to not take, you know, the man's surname.
0: Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the
1: default is just to keep your maiden name if you're a woman, yeah.
0: See, I didn't know that. Canada is such a... like, another country.
1: Obviously, people do... There are people who do do take their husband's name, but you sort of have to, like, express you want to do that, like how in Britain you have to express you don't want to do that.
0: Mm. Although I think now there's a lot more conversation around it, especially in the last 10 years now that same-sex marriage has really like sort of thrown a spanner in the works of that convention because when you've got no women what do you do or when you're both women what, what do you do i know someone who these two women got married and they decided to just make a new surname by smushing the first half of one person's surname to the second half of the other, and they just made a new... So, kind... like a portmanteau. Yeah, exactly.
1: Coming from quite a, uh, let's say, liberal area, um, I did grow up with a lot of people who had double-barrel surnames, and even I have my mum's surname as one of my middle names, but they didn't quite want to go all the way as to give me a double-barrel surname.
0: See, I've got a double-barrel surname, um, and my, my boyfriend, because his mum is Scottish... He has his mum's maiden name as one of his middle names as well. So I think that's quite a oh, nice. quite a common thing in in certain regions of the UK then. And is
1: is your double barrel from like both your parents or
0: Yes, so I have my my mum's uh maiden name followed by my my dad's name. It makes me sound posher than I am, or, or maybe that's me being completely oblivious to how posh I am, but it's just like I don't know where Why double-barreled surnames are associated with being so posh. I mean, there are some people who are incredibly posh who have double-barreled surnames. But then also, it is just a case that my mum didn't want to lose her family name. So she decided to take it and gave it to me. Nice. It's interesting. It's interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. Also, you know, also it's nice to have my mum's surname in there because it proves that I'm related to Madonna.
0: You're related to Madonna?
1: I'm going to leave that as a complete non-sequitur. Let's move into the episode. What? I've been talking about this for too long. Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa!
1: Okay, every French Canadian person with a surname Fortin is related to Madonna because there's a reason everyone with a surname Fortin is related, and Madonna's mum was like from there, so you know.
0: Wow. So you've got okay. So in our next episode, I will discuss my connection to Madonna. But for now, <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the episode. Episode eight punchline. That's what it's called.
1: We're not going to do the discussion of how different lists of the episodes have different naming conventions. We're just calling it Punchline, and we've been talking too long about names, so let's let's get right into it, I think.
0: So we open up this episode with Romy, Stewart and Alfred um, arriving at the car dealership, and finally, <laughs> I know everyone's name, so we don't have to have a conversa- another conversation about names, and... Um, Romy is wondering, we sort of open up the episode with the line, do you think I look lesbian? Um, because R- Romy is discussing that the fact that the Home Office are going to go, come and visit her and Lance to, to sort of do part of the checking up um, to see if their marriage is real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she makes a very good point that the Home Office deals with these sort of scam marriages all the time. So she's like, they, they probably know what a lesbian looks, looks like. Yeah, can they just tell? Do they just
1: have the eye? I feel like there are, there are only two types of people are going to have gaydar. It's going to be actual gay people and homophobes. <laughs> you know, the only two people who, who need to care about that sort of thing, you know,
0: and they might have the eye. I wouldn't be surprised if the Home Office have, like, actual gaydar devices and they sort of scan you. Yes, it's called a diverse workplace. But the great, the great thing about Romy giving Stuart a lift to the car dealership is that he sort of... It means that there's this man, Stuart... This woman, Romy, and this baby, and S- Stuart gives Romy a little kiss on the cheek to say goodbye.
1: Yes, a little, a little confidence kiss. A little, you got this. And it's funny because this answers the question of does she look like a lesbian, and it's like you know, not, not explicitly, not while she's with a man, because a guy looks at him from inside the dealership and is like, okay, cool, that's my next customer. He is straight, you know, he has a baby, he has a wife.
0: Now the question here is, is does it is it Romy that looks straight when stood next to Stuart? Or is it the fact that this car salesman does not have a good gaydar?
1: Yeah, I guess I guess if he's not working at the home office he doesn't need as good a gaydar.
0: But then we sort of, let's expand this a little further. So Stuart wants to get another um of a similar Jeep to which he already had. Sorry, have I missed something? Why does Stuart need a new car? or is, did, did the old one break?
1: Maybe he can just write it off and he's like, you know, let's get a new car. I and mean, he has a lot of money.
0: Yeah, he does. He does. He also, I, maybe I'm over reading into things here, but he might be jealous of the fact that Vince just got a, a new, in inverted commas, car. But also, I think, because
1: I think it's implied this car is uh, second hand, and we'll get to why. So he's like, I want this car, I want this model, I like this model, I want this model. And the guy's like, okay, yeah, but like, this one's very popular, the gays. The gays like this car. Th- this, is, this is the gay car.
0: Do you want to get the gay car? Are you sure you want to get the gay car? <laughs> He doesn't say gay this many times, I should point out.
1: No, but, well, no, what he says is that when they inevitably die, we get them to resell them, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. He said there's these young gay men have a lot of money. They, they sort of, he, he basically says they, they live fast, die young, or whatever the expression is. Yes, yes. And which is why I say, you know, you joke about he doesn't have as good a gay dar as people that work in the home office. But he seems to think that he's got a good gaydar because as a salesperson, he's got to know um, who to sell to. And this, this isn't like, um, you know, that Robert Dias advert where they say, you know, hit, you know Robert Dias is really good for straight people. Robert Dias is really good for, for gay people. Robert Dias is really good for bisexuals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This car salesman, I, I don't know if he is exactly that or exactly the opposite in that, in that I think he changes his tact depending on if he thinks he's got a um, a gay guy that he can sort of oversell a car to versus if he's got a good, you know, traditional value family man that he'll sell a, partic- a more expensive car to. Yeah,
1: yeah. Stuart takes it personally, as as you would expect him to. He's in the car. He's like, yeah, I like this model. And then he just drives it through the glass facade of a car dealership.
0: You say he takes it personally as he should I think oh, good for Stuart, 'cause the guy is not the guy is not an ally. I think he No, I say as he should. I say, you know. And then he just sort of the way he casually is just like, Oh, I'll take this car. After we smashed it through the window. It's just a fun stunt for a stunt's sake. Is it a stunt? I call it a stunt. I think... Not saying it's a...
1: It's a stunt done by a stuntman. There probably was a stuntman involved for this. I mean stunt in, like, the actual sense of, like, some, you know, crazy thing you do, no one expects, and then people talk about it. That's a stunt. A great presence in the previous
0: episode's Next Time trailer.
1: And, like, when we cut to the PR office a little later, you know... Um, everyone there is defending Stuart, um, someone who, like, answers the phones when the car dealership guy called, told him to fuck off, (laughs) um, they're saying, you know, if you sue us, we will counter-sue you, because of, you know, homophobic remarks and all that.
0: They'll tell the papers.
1: You're going up against a PR agency.
0: A great detail pointing out the hints of exactly what stuart has been doing yeah they run the press they're the gay agenda you know we discussed in a previous episode that we thought that the pr agency was pushing the gay agenda and it turns out they probably are
1: and good for them it's about time
0: over um in the supermarket we see vince mr tyler as his co- as a colleague who's just been on holiday re- causing mr tyler um, I think it's amazing that we haven't discussed the fact that Vince's last name is Tyler at all. I know we, we, we avoid, we're avoid, we avoiding talking about Doctor Who, but it is, I think, worth saying that Rusty Davis knows about three people's surnames. Yes. <laughs> Given that this, 1993, in, in four years... Sorry, this isn't, sorry, 1993, what am I talking about? 1999 is when this came out. In four years' time... RTD will be writing the first series of Doctor Who and will just reuse the name Tyler. Crazy. Crazy.
1: And then he'll write the third series and reuse the name Jones.
0: What's Nathan's last name? Maloney. He doesn't he hasn't he hasn't as far as I can go, he's not really u- reused the name Maloney. Were there any Maloney's and Daleks in Manhattan? You know, was Andrew Garfield's last name Maloney?
1: You know, let's 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 say it was. We have we have no proof to the contrary.
0: So yeah, we're, we're with Vince in the supermarket, and we've got to remember where we left off in the previous episode. St- Stuart basically fucked up big time at the party. He done goofed, and Vince and Cameron sort of left, and now they're basically they're not they're not on speaking terms. And obviously this has all come about because Stuart told Rosalie that Vince is gay. And now Vince is also terrified that she's going to go and tell everyone at work. So we sort of, Vince is not in a great place at the moment. He's sort of not on speaking terms with his best friend and he's sort of anxious at work. And as this sort of new girl, um, sorry, not the new girl, um, the woman who's come off for holiday says, Mr. Tyler, what's the news? He starts telling her about the fact that refrigeration is closed and that there's 10 jobs gone um, because of that. Which I was like, whoa, I I thought we're currently, you know, in a recession now. I didn't realise things were that bad as well in the 90s. I thought the 90s was this golden age of employment.
1: After 1992, things got better and better and better and better. And then 2007, the end, they suddenly got a lot worse. And then they sort of, you know, got... Slightly better and slightly better. Not as dramatically better because of austerity, but that didn't stop another recession from happening, did it? That's Louis' austerity
0: hour, another bonus feed. No, but it turns out that this new woman, she doesn't want to find out how many jobs have been lost. She wants to know, what's the news with Rosalie? Because she tried to set up Rosalie and Vince, completely unaware of what's happened. But all that happens is... Rosalie and the other girls just giggle at Vince and he, you know we know what his mind is jumping to he thinks that um Rosalie is telling everyone that he's gay yes we cut over to Nathan as well so we catch up with our third protagonist is and he is um in English class where they're learning about Wilfred Owen and Christian who we remember is a gay basher who had that encounter in the changing rooms drawing his attention with nathan yes he basically tells his teacher that um in the on the inside of the book it says that wilford owen was was gay and that therefore they can't learn about him
1: because of section 22 uh 28 yeah. Catch 28, yeah. Catch, no, catch <laughs> 20, yeah, yeah. Catch, oh. No, I know, I, I... I, You're making a joke, I realise. You are joking. Did it all other way around just to, just to turn my mistake into a joke um, there, yeah.
0: And I, I, for a second, was like, oh, he's just, this boy, so, Christian's just being homophobic. But then I was remembering that section 1028 was in order until 2003 in England and Wales. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then the teacher's like, ah, his sexuality has nothing to do with his poetry. And I want to be like, no, that's not true. I think the two things are inter- intertwined.
1: Legally, it doesn't. Legally,
0: it doesn't. No, but sort of... Yeah. It shows that so Section 28 profoundly, not only is profoundly homophobic, it also doesn't capture the true artistry of um, World War One poetry. No. I
1: mean, people taught Shakespeare during Section 28, you know. Exactly. And that's, that's very fruity. People taught Isaac Newton who might have been gay, might have been asexual, and uh, lifelong bachelors, as they were known back then.
0: The, we have gone on, on a tangent about Wilfred Owen and, and Section 28, when actually I think the point of the scene is that Nathan is fuming by this outburst by um, Christian in this class. And Donna, who again, she's, she's done her, her hair looks splendid. She always just looks so on it. Um, she looks back at him and he is Fuming. And so we cut to them in the corridor, and Nathan is once again saying that he's going to leave at 16. And then Donna has an outburst. Yeah, we get to know what's happening with Donna. Her mum's boyfriend
1: is moving in, and he is the worst, and she feels that Nathan is ignoring her, and she doesn't want that to keep happening. She wants him to listen to her, she wants him to respect her. Nathan has a choice now. It's like, does he keep going down the Daniel route, or or does he see what's been standing right in front of him this whole time.
0: That sounds like the plot of a rom-com.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, in terms of friendship. Exactly. Because, I mean, because, like, him and Daniel are not together romantically, you know, they're they're also friends.
0: Friends with a couple of benefits, I think. Yeah, no, no, certainly, certainly. Donna, she's got a wonderful line. She says, me, I could be bleeding from my eyes, and you wouldn't notice. And I'm like, wow, what an image that sort of sums up how oblivious Nathan is to anything that isn't him. He's so wrapped up in himself. And where does that put us on our our sort of series long arc of me redeeming Nathan in our eyes? He's still a selfish twat, basically. This is
1: the episode where he's gotta redeem himself, isn't it? Because this is of course the last episode uh, until popular demands created two more i'm
0: tapping my invisible watch um to basically say time is running out for you nathan maloney you gotta you gotta do something impressive and, and do it fast
1: and now we we switch back to i think probably the biggest the biggest arc of this season beyond like the love triangle of of nathan of of sorry of stuart Vincent and cameron uh which is of course lisa's home office situation or no romey's home office situation but of course Lisa's there And you know we need to remember Lisa's there because you know Lisa Has agency, Lisa has has want- Wants and needs And she's been setting In motion the, uh, the plot To derail the marriage to Lance and we finally We finally find out how that's gone Because uh, it turns out that Nathan Did send the letters And you know someone has come into the house and he he's actually holding the bundle of letters and the thing is i noticed the letters are always they're always tied up in string in the same order and everything, so I'm wondering did they read them, or do they have, like, x-ray machines that can read letters without opening them, you know?
0: The people in the home office are just very good at putting things back into envelopes and, and tying them up again to make it look like they never read anything. They are sneaky. Yeah, well, even though here
1: it's... here it sort of only works if they've, if they've read stuff, but it's a for, it's force of habit. <laughs> they were like, oh, oh, god, we did it by accident. Okay, well, never mind. I mean, might as well keep it like that. Yeah, and so Lisa's outside because, you know, she's not part of the marriage, so she has to not look like the, the woman's partner.
0: Lance has said that she's the babysitter. Yes,
1: yes, Lance has said she's a babysitter. Uh, she's telling us all to Stuart, so Stuart's been kind of called about this, because I think what, he gets called from the office, and when he, like, hears she's on the phone, he's like, okay, right, I'm clocking out for the day, cancel everything else, this is important. You know, and obviously, because of his... He must run the company because if he 's able to just do that you know
0: I think I think, as we discussed the other episode the the, w- the amount of money that he makes and so the the freedom with which he just leaves mu- he must be the boss, yeah, or like number two
1: let 's say like maybe there 's one person above him, which is why he had to like you know do the thing of a funeral where he sort of gave the copy, you know um so we see we see through the window we don't we're not in the house but we see through window that lance punches the the home office guy and then off screen so late and then it cuts to later where we hear that he also punched the arresting officer we don't actually see that bit
0: we cut we cut to when Stuart shows up at the house by which time the police are there arresting lance
1: yes and Romy wants to know who did it uh she asks Stuart, did you do this did you do this uh, and he's like I did not do it And then she asks, the, she asks the Home office guy and he says I can't say but If you see Nathan Maloney tell him Thanks a lot His nose bleeding which uh there's a police officer there. What well, you know, can
0: can they just can they just say that? Well he said that he's not telling telling them, he's just saying, Oh, can you send a thank you to Nathan Maloney? That's like the least subtle way to not tell someone something. Well, exactly. And actually really, upon watching it twice I realise he's not actually thanking Nathan for the letters. He's thanking Nathan for the series of events that led him to being punched in the nose. Oh, yes.
1: No, no, obviously. He's he's very, he's very mad uh, about this. He's like, he's, he's, he's thinking, I honestly would rather just let this fraud happen than get punched in the face, you know? I would rather have no reason to pursue this and just let him let him get away with the goods, which is checks, notes, getting married. What? Okay, fine, whatever. It's just one guy. He he works at a university anyway. That's you know, <laughs> that's that's a lot of tax income. That's not
0: like. But the reality is, uh, like, a gay woman is being is like forcing herself to marry a man. Really, this is this is this is real justice happening right here. Yeah, <laughs> saving Romy and saving Lisa. That that's that's the real justice that the Home Office is fighting for. That was a joke, dear listener. So a point I want to
1: make here, and in terms of what is right and wrong, and what is sort of seen as like good and bad actions, is that when Lisa asked Stuart to send these letters in, like, that's supposed to be a bad thing. She's supposed to be in a position where she has to do something that's bad, and we, we, we as the audience think, you know, this is bad, but we can kind of sympathise with her. Um maybe just from a purely like plot narrative viewpoint we wouldn't want lance to become part of the status quo you know this has to resolve some way um, but ultimately you know someone sending in these letters behind their partner's back is bad if she couldn't discuss this with Romy in person and say i really don't feel comfortable with this i really wonder if if we could instead look for someone for Lance to marry yeah. who is in more of a position where they're happier to, like, maybe someone who was, like, recently widowed, just for exa- as an example, and, you know, is- doesn't want to remarry, but would be happy to help someone out by pretending to get married. I don't know. I don't know. But the fact that she went behind his back, you know, that's bad. But... Then I feel it's almost a little cowardly That at the last second They make Lance violent mm. Like Lance wasn't violent But suddenly, oh well now he's violent Now he punches two people And so we don't need to feel sorry for him And I think it should be messy I think we should feel a bit sorry for Lance And we should feel a bit sorry for Lisa And we should recognise That this all came about Because of the imperfect relationships Between Lisa and Romy and Stuart and Nathan
0: Yes, and I think there's there's certainly something almost uncomfortable about the, the the racial element of this, that we have a, a black immigrant who, at the last moment, is painted in an, an almost unnecessarily violent negative light. Yeah, no, that is, that is certainly a negative
1: stereotype specifically associated with black people, so that is absolutely a valid point, yeah.
0: Yeah, especially as you point out in previous episodes, Lance seems so calm such a nice present in the house until, you know, he d- he does make some odd comments. Yeah, that's the thing. He makes odd comments that, you know, you are kind of wonder,
1: is this just because of a home office or is there something else going on here? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, the fact that instead of expanding upon that, they go to, oh, let's just make him violent. It's like, no, I'd say don't make him violent, but still have the scene play out as it does. And... You know, that can still be an interesting bit of drama and that can still make us think about, you know, imperfect, as I say, imperfect relationships and feeling like you need to do something bad. And that's interesting. And I think, yeah, it's just a bit, it's just a, a, they they didn't, they didn't stick for landing.
0: But if I offer a counterpoint there, I think there is something interesting about the violence coming out because um, as in a, in a scene or two um Hazel points out that the last thing you want is um, a man living in your house, looking after your child who the second something goes wrong is prone to violence. And I think there is almost a comment being made there that Romy doesn't know Lance that well. You know, you don't most sane people who are marrying for reasons other than the home office, um tend to marry someone after knowing them for a while and sort of thinking, OK, I know who you are. I'm willing to make a commitment to you now, you know, living with you, you know, bring you into my family. Yeah, you've been through Whereas thick and thin. Romi Romy doesn't really know Lance and they're sort of, even though it's not a real marriage, they are having to go through the motions to, to convince the home office. And it does mean now the the point the point i'm trying to make is that no, none of them really know lance and we as an audience member don't know lance and so it, if it turns out that he is actually quite a violent guy i think that's, that just goes to prove that nobody really knew him i'm i'm making a counterpoint that it is interesting drama and I think it's quite a fun scene when he first punches the home office guy because Lisa on the when she's on the phone to Stuart gets so excited about it
1: yeah and a little later um we'll stick with this plot line for now Nathan and Hazel actually come to Romy's once he finds out that
0: oh it's I think it's the other way around I think Romy or you no know,
1: Romy comes to them yeah okay well basically because the thing is Hazel's also there that's the thing is hazel's also there and so that's why she gets to comment on this situation about how she didn't really know lance uh and how like she's annoyed that she chose stuart as the sperm donor and so hazel's like well then you really don't have good taste in men <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is nathan like plays along and says that like you know yes i did it and i wasn't asked to and i did it because i love Stuart, and he really he really plays this up as like, this was all me, this was all my fault, because I saw how the baby situation made Stuart feel, and this is nothing this wasn't Stuart's decision this wasn't Lisa's decision, I'm just a stupid kid, you know and it's interesting that Romy never finds out that like this was like Lisa and then Stuart's plan Mm. you know to sort of hide their blame it means that they got away with it you know
0: I think there's a a big well in the sense that Romy does blame Stuart to an extent She, she doesn't clock onto the fact that it was Lisa and Stuart's plan but she does say it is all your fault because all you do is shag and had it not been for you Nathan wouldn't have come into this and this wouldn't have happened. So actually,
1: no. Yes, I I get what you're saying, but like she, it's not like like if 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 Stuart sent the letters, she might be like, I don't want you to see Alfred. You know what I mean?
0: Yes, that's but true. this
1: is like you're an idiot. But I kind of already knew in that you're an idiot, or or you know, or you were trouble. Yeah, and like so, she kind of can't. She can't blame him enough to to stop him from seeing Alfred, which was the plan. You know, like, I think Stuart knew that she'd be angry at him because of... His connection to Nathan, but you know, now he can see he can still see Alfred.
0: But I think and I think Lisa made the point that she wouldn't actually be able to stop. We we had this discussion last time. Yeah, but that's like legally she would be able to, but like
1: Yeah, no no, you're right. If you have to if you have to go to her house to pick up the son, then like you know
0: It would be one of those awkward sort of he stays in the car and and Alfred has to walk by himself, but Alfred currently isn't in a fit state to walk because he's a
1: Stuart gets his his new flavor of the week to to pick up Alfred from the door and take it back to the car.
0: Exactly, exactly. And so that's kind of the end of that plot thread, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're wrapping things up, you know.
0: We're on a roll, we're on a streak. It's it's ended with some high drama. So now let's... Should we... We can go and wrap up um, Rosalie's storyline with Vince then.
1: Yes, yes. So Vince is able to catch Rosalie and you know, he's a bit distressed. He, he's, he's worried she'll tell people and he's thinking like, you know, maybe, maybe he's thinking he kind of deserves it. I don't know. But like, he's, you know, uh, not, not doing great, but she tells him, that she she hasn't told anyone. They were laughing at his tie because it was the same tie as someone on, like, a reality show or something, you know?
0: I think it was some... It was. Did she say it was someone on cloakrooms last night? Is,
1: is that a reality show or is that a soap? I don't know. That kind of name, it's like, it's one of those two things. It's not going to be anything else.
0: Because I thought they were talking about, like, the cloakrooms in the shop, but maybe that doesn't make sense at all. I don't know. I just... Knowing how... Vince
1: and Rosalie interact, like, it must be about TV, because that is something they talk about, like, that's...
0: No, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. But the point is, they're laughing about his tie, um, and she she offers him that sort of olive branch by saying it's not that bad. And so then he starts doing the gay thing, where he starts explaining, um, it was actually a... Sorry, I, I feel very homophobic for calling that gay. Um... <laughs> okay, Please finish
1: this thought because I
0: don't know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> where he starts going, well, actually, it was really good value and actually this is where I bought it from. And actually, da-da. and he starts talking in a lot of detail about the tie and Rosalie just walks away.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. No, I love a frugal gay.
0: I love a gay who loves a bargain, you know? I do think that is intended to be a sort of a, him talking about the tie is meant to be, you know, a straight man wouldn't say that much about a tie. I do think that's the point. Yeah. But that is, um, that's their sort of their friendship I suppose yeah I think one of the important things to note is just before this scene with Rosalie Vince has had a phone call from Stuart and Vince has picked it up but Stuart hasn't said anything and then Stuart has has hung up and then dealt with the situation with with Romy and Lisa etc and so that's the only contact that we've seen Vince and Stuart have so all things are very awkward and then we jump to an art gallery where Cameron and Vince are together looking at art and we sort of get the impression that Vince is trying to tell Cameron that he likes art, but the only art he references, you know that artwork that nowadays you just see all over social media where it's like, if you look at this, can you see the duck in this image? Can you see the eye? What, magic eye? The magic eye, yeah. Or or no, not magic eye, like those
1: optical illusions, I guess they are. I know, is it one where like, if you look at it, sideways it turns from a rabbit into a duck you mean that one.
0: Yes and he does also drop, name drop Magic Eye as well and he loves um, the painting of the dogs playing poker <laughs> now the, the thing to note is neither of these references are high art so it's, it's one of the, another one of those hints that Cameron and Vince maybe aren't made for each other um, so Cameron says oh we don't have to stay long We can. I just have to stay for the speech because I know, I know the person giving it and then they notice that Stuart and Stuart's assistant are there because Stuart's assistant is everywhere. Yeah. But and Cameron's immediately like, let's go well, we can we let's actually let's leave now. But Vince is like, No no no, we're all we're all adults. We can like we can stay in the same room together, you know, it's not it's not a problem. And does then does Stuart then realise that Cameron and Vince are there? Does he spot them back as well? Hmm. I don't know because they don't ever interact. They're just... It's just... No, they don't. It's
1: just that Vince is fine being in the same room as as Stuart. Okay, we don't have to plan our day around avoiding him.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because he is... No, I don't think... Because he, he is pretty preoccupied with trying to chat up a new guy, you know? Because I'm just wondering whether or not when he tries to chat up this new and inverted commas guy he's doing it because he wants to be watched doing it that's that was that was my only thought behind that
1: no maybe but also maybe he wants to be watched by his co-workers doing it who knows
0: that's that's also true that's also true um but as it turns out he shouldn't really want to be watched and because it turns out he's already taken this guy home however long ago
1: but he doesn't remember
0: so he gets told to fuck off and this is like the
1: first time he's ever been rejected and I'm wondering, like, really? Has no one ever done this before? Or has he always been able to... Well... Has he been always a- been able to be just smooth enough when it's a, a double dip, you know? When it's someone who who recognises him and he doesn't recognise them, he can be like, I get to do it all over again for the first time. How wonderful is that? And he wasn't quite that smooth this time.
0: Well, do you want to hear a funny story, Louis? Yeah. I have found a YouTube channel that essentially it repackages scenes from gay tv shows and then sort of gives you a package and it has a really clickbaity title and this is one of those repackaged scenes from this youtube channel when the title of the video is this handsome gay man got rejected for the first time and when you
1: say that so it's just like this clip it's not like a compilation of handsome gays getting rejected in
0: different TV shows or... No, it's just Stuart. It's just Stuart getting okay. rejected okay. for the first time. Because
1: I know you do get those channels which there'll be, like, compilations for, like, specific characters like Arthur and Merlin yeah. being best friends for 15 minutes gay. But this is just,
0: you know, gay TV clips. You know you see those clips online where people don't want to actually watch a tv show they just want to watch a dramatic scenario from a tv show yeah yeah now and nowadays of course you'll have an ai narrate it fortunately there's no ai involved (laughs) in this this video the
1: ai movie summaries i did see i did see a funny post which was saying you know i actually like the ai movie summaries because sometimes i don't want to watch don't worry darling but i do want to know why everyone's talking about it (laughs) (laughs) but i do not endorse that view personally
0: Ultimately, after Stuart gets told to fuck off, he definitely feels stupid, and Cameron says to Vince, pathetic. Because, I mean, the thing is, because, like, I
1: think Cameron wants to sort of be more performatively antagonistic against Stuart, and he also does hate Stuart, but, like, you know, Vince has reason to hate Stuart, and... Cameron sort of wants to be the be oh yes, we're hating Stuart together, but actually it it ends up being that it feels like he is sort of Vince is just feeling a bit sad about the whole thing and Cameron's not really picking that up. Exactly. It's funny, Stuart gets rejected once and he is in the worst mood, suddenly. He is just completely like, he gets in his car and it's clear he shouldn't drive, and I'm not sure if it's because he's drunk or or he's just so upset by being rejected that, like, he's going to drive into a wall or something. Uh, and Nathan appears to, like, stop him.
0: Like, some... Like, how does Nathan know he's there? I don't know. I just have the note that Nathan appears out of nowhere. Yeah. And I, I thought maybe you'd picked up on something, but no, Nathan seems to just have sort of... Unless it's one of those Nathan's been stalking. Or well, Nathan's the ghost of Stuart as a child. Like in the, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like it's like it's like it's
1: like the ending of Ashes to Ashes, you know it's...
0: Nathan's actually um a guardian angel sent from heaven. Sent by um Christopher Accleston Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting confused. <laughs> getting confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no and and basically the point of Nathan is Nathan tells um, Stuart let's go get a cab. Should we stick should we stick with Nathan? Yeah. It's clear that Nathan just wants to sort of make sure that Stuart's okay and then leave and get on with things. But they end up talking about the letter scenario and St- Stuart I think ends up a kind of offering to have sex with Nathan again and and Nathan's like well I didn't I did I literally I did not do it for a shag. And we so then sort of we see into Stuart's psyche that all he has to offer is sex, and there's there's this is a very low moment that all he all he has in his life to give is sex, and that's probably why being rejected by this other guy has hit him so deep because it feels like then the one thing that he had is gone and Nathan turns around and basically says, "I didn't ever mean anything to you." It was just that I was so readily available. And and Nathan tries to leave. And then this is the scenario where Stuart asks him to stay. He, he doesn't want to be alone. He sort of tries to ask him, do you, want to, do you want to have coffee? Do you want to watch a video? Yeah. And Nathan's like, I don't want to watch porn. And Stuart's like, oh, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be porn. It's not all porn. It can be cartoons.
1: I don't know if he says cartoons, but that's what I think of just because of you know when we first meet nathan in episode one
0: but then we have the big moment the big moment louis that you when way back when we recorded episode one you said that you don't recall the series ending with Stuart begging nathan to stay and this is the scene where that supposedly happens yes nathan says you know are you begging me and Stuart is what what he's doing is he's asking him very very reluctantly yeah you know oh you know could you stay yes Stuart has to be like if you think that's begging then you better hope you never end up homeless
1: (laughs) yeah and i mean this is it this is the canon event i love that like ever since that spider-man movie which just like every time we've we've just replaced in our lexicon we've replaced um foreshadowing or dramatic irony with canon event
0: Mm, it's seminal moments are no more it's all yeah of no I mean I still talk, yeah. I, I still talk about seminal moments because um okay, I'm a literary academic not really that's
1: nice not really yeah, I'm not so so I and because we're watching a show about gay people, I just call it seminal moments
0: <sighs> what well, because the fun fact is here's where you find out that I speak Latin um semen and seminal do come from the same Latin stem, semen, which just means seed so you know semen being the seed of man yeah (laughs) the seed of a man and seminal meaning the moment where the sort of the seed has been planted Mm. feel free to cut this bit out because no one's listening to this podcast wanting latin etymology
1: i don't know one of the funniest comedy bits i ever watched was about a guy explaining that the greeks had a word for inserting a radish into the anus of another man so
0: they do yeah yeah i don't know what it is um but this is what happens when you read ancient comedy
1: but back in Queer as Folk Back in Queer as Folk Vince and Cameron
0: are also at home
1: Vince is He's in the bath and he's going on About Canal Street
0: Cameron is brushing his teeth They've reached that point in their relationship Where they're both able to use the bathroom simultaneously
1: Yes yes uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very domestic <laughs> And Cameron wants to go to Australia He's like We've got to go to Australia I've got an idea of what we're going to do in Australia? A- Australia sounds like a good destination for a couple gays. One of them being Australia. I don't know it's it's just very far from Manchester. I think that's the point, right? Is that like what's the furthest from Manchester? You know, and Vince cannot stop talking about Canal Street in Manchester.
0: And you, what do you think, Cameron's purposely trying to just get Vince as far away from it? as possible
1: yeah certainly that's that's his motive certainly because i mean because the thing is like vince has cut ties with Stuart, but you know he's still friends with alex he's still friends with um his his you know i i, I say his mum. his mum is his mum, but you know he's 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 still friendly with bernard
0: uh and they're all there and i suppose most poignantly you say that Vince is discussing Canal Street in the bath. He's not really discussing Canal Street. He's talking about Stuart. The stories all hinge on what Stuart did this one time and what Stuart did this other time. And this time that Stuart done all this ketamine or... So honestly, just
1: I think when Stuart kissed him at the party, it's like it was. It was like the doctor genetic transfer. It's like he's. He's, he's in the room now, you know, his DNA is
0: in the room. He's obsessed, but I, always, I think he's always been on... Oh, yeah. Vince has always had Stuart on the brain.
1: Well, yeah, of course, but, like, Stuart knew that, like, he had to really put himself on Vince's brain, you know, in the party, like...
0: All this Stuart chat makes Cameron burst out of the room. And then just kind of burst back in. Burst back in, yeah. Yeah. I'm expecting him to turn around and say, would you just shut the fuck up about Stuart for one minute? And he doesn't. What's he say? I love you. Dun, dun, dun. Now, the the
1: question on everyone's lips, do we think that he said I love you too early? Because apparently that's a big that's a big that's a big no no, that's a big risk.
0: Well I don't here's <laughs> the thing, I don't I don't we don't know exactly the length of time that they've been together. But I think there's certainly I mean it's obvious this relationship is so one sided because Cameron is obsessed with Vince and Vince is obsessed with Stuart. <laughs> yeah. So clearly what you what you shouldn't do is say I love you to someone who you kind of have to realise is not going to say it back.
1: Well, then he's like, you don't have to say anything. And even like the next morning, they they still haven't talked about it. Vince is like, you know, just getting ready for work. Whatever, whatever, whatever.
0: He's lost
1: his blue folder. Lost his blue folder, and cameras like you don't have to say it back. You don't have to say anything, but he he wants him to register that it did happen. You know, which is very interesting. Now, while Nathan was at Stuart's flat, he spotted K-9. Yes. And it made him think of Vince. And it made him think of, you know, the the connection between Stuart and Vince. And he wants to do some guardian angel shit, is all I can say at this point.
0: I think the other thing that probably makes him think of Vince is that great big fuck-off pet picture of Vince on the wall. <laughs> left over from the party. I, I, I should have spotted that, yeah. It took me a moment to realise that that's not a permanent feature of Stuart's house, it's just left over from the party where there are multiple pictures of Vince all over the wall. Yeah, and so when Vince comes out of his house for
1: next morning, he sees K-9 on the top of his car. He thinks that Stuart must have done it as a sort of unintrusive apology, as a, you know, I know you don't want to see me, but I just want you to know this, and... I'll disappear, you know.
0: And so immediately he phones... Yeah, once he gets to work... He phones Stuart to say thank
1: you. So yeah, not immediately. No. But I mean, the moment he gets to work, you know, he, he phones Stuart to say... But also because he just says thanks for the canine. I just wanted to say thanks for the canine. So, like, Stuart hears it and thinks that Vince is just thanking him for a canine of a party. Yeah, yeah. Stuart thinks that, oh, okay, he's sort of... He just wants to, like, chat without it seeming like he's... He's actually gonna start chatting with him again, you know, like sort of Tessa Waters kind of thing. Neither of them pick up that they've been they've been meat cuted, you know. Mm,
0: is that what
1: meat cuted. They've been neither of them pick up that they've been intervened with, let's say.
0: I wouldn't call it a meat cute, but we ha- we're not calling it a meat cute. But I mean it's it's like how Romy doesn't find out
1: that Lisa and Stuart had a plan, you know.
0: They're all blissfully ignorant, which I'm glad because I I wouldn't want there to be any fallout from this. No. It's it's interesting though that Stuart just is so He's so miserable at, at the moment that he hasn't even noticed that K nine isn't in his house. Yeah. So the pair hang up, and then Stuart phones Vince back and asks, "What? What are you? What are you doing for lunch?" And cut to them um, having lunch. Yeah, it's lovely. It starts off as business as usual because Vince is complaining about Rosalie at work, and then he sort of tries to ask, "Well, you know, how's Alfred?" And the conversation gets turned back around onto. Stuart asking Vince how Cameron is and then Vince starts complaining about um how Cameron wants to go to Australia Vince doesn't really want to and then Stuart's like oh don't worry give it 6 months and he'll be able to name all the doctor who's and then to prove the point Stuart um explains how over the last 16 years that he's spent being friends with Vince that he has learnt the names of all the Doctor Whos, as he calls them.
1: Yes, all seven, and then Paul McGann doesn't count.
0: Oh, it's, it's crazy that it's just seven back in 1999,
1: wow. It is mad, that it has more than doubled since then.
0: Yeah.
1: Eight, or even if you count eight, it's still doubled since then.
0: I mean, we count... It's funny, I've seen people joke about this moment because this is Russell T Davies giving his opinion that in the 90s, Paul McGann did not count because this series came out three years after the Doctor Who television movie in 1996. Yeah. Um, Whereas it was Russell T Davies as the Doctor Who showrunner who made it official? Official that Paul McGann does count as a doctor. Yeah. Sorry, we're talking too much about Doctor Who. But I suppose the show is talking about Doctor Who. No. Yeah. No. It's it is it is funny that they sort of
1: that was for fans like guys at a time. You know, that was like exactly. And I think it is it is it is definitely a lot of fun to see how it was to be a Doctor Who fan during the wilderness years. Like I listened to a BBC Sounds documentary about that. You know. <laughs> I think I think this show did contribute somewhat to you know, revived sort of enthusiasm for a reboot.
0: Well, I'll tell you exactly what it was, if you're interested. Um, Jane Tranter, who was um, head of drama, uh, sorry, not head of drama, that was Julie Gardner, she was very high up at BBC Wales, and she was a Doctor Who fan, and it was her seeing Queer as Folk that made her decide that Russell T Davis was the person to bring it back. So it's Queer as Folk that brought Russell T. Davis to the attention of the people who wanted to bring Doctor Who back. That's the connection there. Nice. So really, yeah, we do have this program to thank because without it, RTD wouldn't have been the showrunner and arguably it wouldn't have had the success that it did. Some people would argue about that, but this is a podcast about Russell T. Davis, so of course I'm going to... Yes,
1: we're, we're biased on this one. We're pro. We're not bringing on a Daily Express journalist for balance, you know?
0: No. I think what's very interesting is the fact that Vince says, oh, this was nice. We should do it again. Clearly, Vince is obsessed with Stuart and doesn't want him to leave his life. And Stuart's like, no, we don't have to do it again. You know, my world is so big. He's put the ball in, in Vince's court, you know? Has he? I th- Well, no,
1: I think because it's like Vince, Vince can't be coy now. Like, he has to. Wa- he has to want it now, you know?
0: He makes, he's made the point to Vince that Vince has got such a small, tiny world because he, they've had a discussion about how Because Cameron said, I love you first, it's given him all this power. But Stuart's like, no, but it hasn't because he's stupid. You can't give any respect to him. Why would he love you? Because yes, you can't respect anyone who loves you, he thinks. Especially not Vince, because how can he be the best shag that Cameron's ever had? Um, And also the only thing he does is go to work, drink at the bar and watch cheap science fiction. You know, he's got a tiny world view. I think Stuart's got an even smaller world. Because all, all his world is work and sex. Money and sex. Hmm. Well, anyway, at the bar, Hazel and Alex
1: are joking about not seeing Vince anymore. Uh, and I love I love that Hazel and Alex are this kind of odd couple. And that is going to carry forward into the specials, which I think is great. Because they, they are so great together. Yeah, and meanwhile, Donna and Nathan are there. And it's nice, because it's like the the classic bar setup which we haven't seen in a couple episodes because there's been so much drama but like people are just in the bar you know crossing paths
0: and chatting about each other and i love it i was gonna say we're picking up people's stories because we see the connection of donna wants to ask hazel if she can stay for the night because she's worried about um is it it's like her stepdad or her mum no no, her mum's boyfriend it's
1: the same thing basically
0: and then as you said someone else is in the bar it's Christian Hobbs from school with a girl <gasps> in a gay bar. And Donna is
1: fuming. They're like, why is he here? And it's because it's because it's a cool place. It's because gay is cool. And it makes you look metropolitan and trendy and sophisticated.
0: What Donna says is Canal Street is New York to year 12. So does that mean that Nathan's
1: in year 12 then?
0: Well, he's 15. So surely he's in year
1: 11 or 10. or
0: Yeah, so he's not done as she says yet. But then Cameron's in the same English class as him. I don't know, unless I've written down that it's not year 12.
1: Maybe screenwriters can't do maths. Or, Maybe that's it. Or,
0: here's the thing it's so cool and trendy to year 12, and Cameron is trying to be so overly cool and trendy that he's going for. Christian. The, for the, sorry, Christian. That's the, all these C names. Sorry, I, <laughs> I thought. I said I was on it with the names, and clearly I'm not. Maybe he's being trying to be so cool. Or maybe the girl he's ta- with him is in year 12 or something. Let's say
1: that's it. So that sounds like the best explanation, yeah.
0: Anyway, he smiles at Nathan. And Nathan is bloody fuming. He is annoyed.
1: It's great because Nathan goes up to do karaoke and we think, okay, he's about to embarrass himself. What's going on here?
0: He's about to sing because uh, the backing track is Lucky by Kylie. Oh, nice, nice, lovely. And you think, oh, my God, we're about, we're about to see Charlie Hunnam. As Nathan Maloney sing "Lucky" by Kylie Minogue, well, I should be so lucky.
1: Oh, I was just about to—I was just about to make the exact same joke there.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: uh, and s- instead he does a bit of spoken word poetry, by which I mean he—he he speaks about Christian. He calls him out. He says this guy here—he beats up queers at school. He—he he finds you know kids that are on their own, and he, he beats them up and all that stuff. He hates us um and the crowd is on nathan's side which we love to see because this could have been the most awkward moment and instead it's it's
0: it's a real triumph of the gay spirit this is the moment i I said we said at the beginning of this episode that this is um finally nathan's opportunity to redeem himself yeah and this is kind of the moment that he does and the girl christian's with is like what the hell and I think Bernard says that's your cue to leave. You know. Oh my god! As Nathan returns to the to the bar and everyone's congratulating him, and Alex says, "Oh, I'll buy you a beer." Um, he then says to Donna and Hazel, "I'm going to go home today." And Hazel makes a joke about, um, "Oh, I'm not going to have my rent money anymore." But it is that moment where Nathan's finally decided to end all the sort of the charade of. You know the attention-seeking and and not not staying at home anymore, and decides to actually know what my family needs me, and I need my family. And you you sort of go, this is his character arc, this is his redemption, this is the moment.
1: It's a be- it's a beautiful way to round off Nathan's arc, which is definitely what's happening now. There definitely isn't going to be another tw- turn of events. This is definitely the the moral of a story is is go home to your family, even if they. Well, maybe we should get onto that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> After this scene, we cut. Back to Vince at the supermarket. What's really important is he's now had that conversation with Stuart. He's been challenged on who he is, what he does. I think after the events of Rosalie, after his sort of his conversation with Stuart and the fallout, he now finally decides to come out at work sort of very casually by yeah
1: so he sort. i think he like tells his co-worker of a gossiping the, the the big gossip one um that you know something about stock inventory but then quite quickly he goes on to talking about a specific guy with the nicest ass and he's like Could you put in a good word for me because i'd want to go out with him and you know and 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 she's like shocked but, you know, he's, he's kind of owned it. He's, he's taken control of the narrative. Uh, and, I mean, you know, I think he did believe Rosalie that she wasn't going to tell anyone. But he decides that, I want to tell everyone. And I think that's, that's really beautiful. That's really nice.
0: We've just seen Nathan have s- sort of some art from the beginning of the series to the end. And now we see Vince sort of making incredible progress in his own personal journey. And so, speaking of Nathan... We get to see him go home and Donna, wa- Donna's outside her house waving a French flag to sort of as part of the work. She's so random. No, I know. It's like if
1: have they, have they ever got a school trip coming up or but like because like she says that she got it off like a, che- a, a cheese, you know, like a <laughs> off a packet of cheese. They had a French flag because she couldn't find a British flag. But also I'm like, why does she need to fly a British flag? <laughs>
0: Because she's like you, you're, you're home. We need to bring the flags out immediately after this heartwarming
1: moment. Her mum's boyfriend shouts at her that she left the door open. Mm. Oh no! Well, this isn't this. Oh no! Is she just have to deal with that now? Let's find out. You know,
0: that's not a satisfying end to the end to the end to the series. Oh no! No, um, no. And then Nathan's having dinner with his family, and as he's washing up, he tells his dad, "I'm not going to change. It's not a phase. I'm going to be gay forever." And then. Nathan's dad is like, "Okay, well, regardless you're not going out on a school night, and also you keep all of this to yourself yeah he's like we he's
1: like we can't change you basically f- basically trying to say that he's like a lost cause like i I disapprove of this. I have to let you be a degenerate for the rest of your life without going as far as explicitly saying that he's he's really Screw that guy, yeah.
0: The nail in the coffin for me. And this really... This made my crush... My crush floor, my flesh crawl, is he said he's worried about Helen, the little sister, and that as far as she is concerned, the anus is for shit. Oh! the makes... Oh, the fact I just had to say that. Oh! The, the, the sort of the visceral... The visceral language that he uses to describe sort of a young girl's worldview by using the words anus and shit, which I'm sure a girl of Helen Aids would not describe her worldview of what she thinks her bum is for.
1: No, and I mean, you know, the mouth is for
0: eating, yet here we are making a podcast. <laughs> After that moment where we say, yeah, Nathan is um, redeemed, instantly then he leaves. Um, his mum goes to his room. He's not going his stuff. His dad's wallet is missing. And then we see Nathan and Donna running down Canal Street, getting into a cab and saying, is this enough money to get to London? And the taxi driver is like, "Yeah, that'll do." A taxi to London, bloody
1: hell! That better that that better be shorthand for a taxi to Manchester Piccadilly Station or like the coach station or something. And the taxi driver was just telling that, like, yes, this is enough money to get a taxi to somewhere else to get onto a bus or a train. This is enough money for that entire process. I, it, the idea of them taking a taxi
0: all the way, yeah, but Louis. It's the nineties. The taxi that that. That'd be cheap. The taxi'd be cheap. Really, that cheap? <laughs> in, in, back in nineteen ninety nine, and also, but going off the train prices today, I think it'd be cheaper to get a taxi. I'm, I'm, I'm not applying the same rules there to um, the cost of a taxi in nineteen ninety nine to the cost of a train in twenty twenty
1: four. Yeah, I know. They got, they got to wrap up all these loose ends. So you know, if they get in a taxi, they go to London. That's like the end. It's just quite funny. That's like,
0: it's crazy that we've given Nathan this moment of redemption of being like he can go home. And then it's sort of like, no, actually, you, he he's he's actually going to do what he's threatened to do and go the extra mile and run away. And it is like, <laughs> you are a little shit, Nathan, but like, you kind of like, I kind of like you doing it, you know, and you've done the right thing because y- your your life at home with your dad is not conducive to your identity. And so, yeah, run away.
1: Have fun. Even when we get to the specials, we find out that his dad has left home. Spoiler. Well, it's I don't think it's a spoiler to say he'll return. You know, he's he's like the third main character. But the point I'm saying is that like sort of this moment of him running away won't be contradicted by him returning later because of um, his dad leaving.
0: And also the act of going to London is like this sort of ultimate piece of liberation. And he wants to return in triumph. But we'll discuss that in the next episode. So that's it. That's 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 Nathan's story. Yes. Finally, learning to appreciate himself and standing up for himself and not having to sort of run away from problems but f- but sort of run towards who he really is that's what i'll say this nathan's story
1: exactly this is absolutely lovely
0: now vince
1: has his has his triumphant moment uh when he's trying to get into his car the car he was given by cameron and it's like it's creaky it's whatever, and he's phoning Cameron, and like Cameron's like, I've got a reservation for us. You need to get here so that they'll seat us. You know, we might lose the reservation if you don't, because he's at like the bar bit of a restaurant, waiting for him to arrive so they can be seated. And Vince is like, God, do, do you hear? Do you hear the? Do you hear the creaking on this door? Oh my God! And Cameron's like, just get here. And he Vince is enjoying messing with Cameron. He's enjoying. The fact that Cameron cares about this reservation so much more than him, and then and then he 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 kind of has a bit of a bit of an idea. He remembers what Stuart was saying, and he's like, "Can you can you name all the Doctor Who's? Can you name all the actors who played Doctor Who?"
0: I don't think Vince was ple- was making fun of Cameron per se. Vince was just being Vince and saying, "Oh, I'll get Bernie to fix it." And Cameron is very controlling, and he's very adult in relation to whereas. Vince is very just sort of young and free, saying, "You know, don't get Bernie to fix it. I'll just pay someone to fix it." And then he says to Vince, "I think just think quickly. I think this is Vince showing respect towards his elders." Yeah, what with Bernie? Yeah, it's when Vince, uh, sorry, Cameron says to Vince, it's like waiting for a kid to tidy his bedroom. That defines Cameron and Vince's relationship. To Vince, it's like Cameron is this older man who thinks he's dealing with a younger, immature man, and ref and they refuse to get on the same level. And so when Vince says, "How many Doctor Who's can you name?" Like you referenced, that's Vince testing Cameron and saying, "Do you actually care about me as an equal on a set, on the level, on a level with with me?"
1: Yeah, um, he can only name. He can name two and two and a half. John Pertwee and Tom Baker, I think. And the bloke with white hair. The bloke with
0: white hair, yeah. That's William Hartnell for all of you at home wondering who that is.
1: Yes so vince is like he names all seven and is like god i think i think the phone i think the phone line's breaking up i think we're breaking up that's such a great line i think that's one of the that's one of the bits that gets posted around social media that was on like the pink palace yeah which is like channel four's like gay instagram account basically
0: named after another reference in another rtd show which we'll talk about that's our that's our episodely reference to it's a sin because we always reference it's a sin in some in some regard. It's in the zeitgeist, you know. And so Vince takes the keys to them and he just throws them and runs away. And then he this is the, this is the sort of the oddest thing. There's a guy selling big the, the big issue. I, I almost said big finish. God, I've got brain rot. That's
1: for brain rot. Come on.
0: <laughs> There's a guy selling big issue, and he's like shouting big issue. And then Vince is like, yeah, it is. It is a big issue. Roadwork, I sure hope it does. (laughs) (laughs) So silly. Um, And he's like, unrequited love is fantastic because it never has to change. It never has to grow up. Uh, It never has to end. It's an interesting thing because we've seen the development in Vince in him deciding to come out and be proud of who he is. And then that pride sort of extends to his sort of that unrequited love that he has for Stuart which I think at the beginning of the show is quite an uncomfortable position to be in but then the first series of the show decides to end with him just deciding that that's the best place for him to be. So he he runs to Canal Street after saying it's a big issue. Yes and meanwhile Stuart is in the club
1: at Canal Street and this is weird so like he spots the guy who killed Phil Mm. in the club and to him it's just another spotting a guy to hook up with but to us it's like it's like the 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 the, the strings from like the psycho soundtrack are playing like duh, 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 like oh my like we we don't want him to get with this guy it's 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 a weird touch because you know that wasn't even referenced in like the previously on part of the beginning of the episode it's just if you were watching this show on and off each week then this will be a random guy yeah probably it just happens to be the guy that killed phil and so vince runs to the club it's very dramatic as they're slowly dancing towards each other and vince reaches the guy who killed phil then he looks over and vince is there in the club he must have teleported from when he was running, or maybe they weren't quite in sequence, you know, the the shots. <laughs> and then he goes over to Vince, and they jump up onto those little dancing platforms. Whatever happened to those, you know? Because like you get those platforms, or like it might be like a cage where people can just like look up and see you in their dancing, you know. And so they dance on one of those platforms.
0: So the poignance of that is we've heard all these things about Stuart being so concerned with his image and. There was an anecdote that Vince told where Stuart completely refused to ever get on there. And now this is the sort of the final moment of the show. Stuart basically goes, I know I actually, for you, my best friend, I don't really care about my image. You know, let's just let's just have a good time.
1: Yeah, they're they're reunited.
0: They're homies, they're roommates, you know. And then as they're dancing, what happens, Louis?
1: We cut to the credits or
0: we freeze frame,
1: we freeze frame. Oh, does this mean? Does this mean what we think it means? I don't
0: think it does, actually. Especially because I've I've seen the special. Find out next time. Find out next time. See if you're actually right in using freeze frame as a um, innuendo for something else. And that's it. That's that's Queer Folk series one. Um, all wrapped up, never to be talked about ever again. Yeah. What do we think? Do we like it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I like it. I think I think you can certainly point out. the the problematic elements, uh, if you want to. But ultimately, I think it exploded onto our screens in 1999. And
0: it's still an absolute joy to watch. At the end of the day, it's just really good character drama. And we've managed to talk so much and, and sort of debate the character psychology, why are they doing these weird, complicated things that they do? And I think it's just really well thought out and isn't one of these shows that's just... It's not gay for gay's sake. It's its just gay and, and joyous. And these are interesting gay men who are living their interesting gay lives. And wow.
1: You know? Wow, yeah. And you know what? Listener to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Because we've been talking a lot about what we think about everything here. But we want to know what you
0: think. Because we've run out of opinions, haven't we?
1: Yes. Yes, we have. We have. We, we need some of yours. Please give us a hot take give us just a regular take even. We want to hear, we want to know what you think of Queer as Folk uh, so that we can make a Queer as Folk uh, special wrapping up episode after we've done both specials. But obviously it's good to let you know now so that you can sort of, uh, we can kind of compile them over the next couple of weeks. Yeah.
0: Formulate your opinions. Um, you can drop us um, a DM on social media. So we are at Davis on, Davis on Instagram. Um, you can also... Send us an email, as um, Louis said at the beginning of the episode. We are davisondavispod at gmail Yeah. You can also send us a carrier pigeon, um, and obviously the pigeons know where they're going. Also, feel free to send us a, um, a subspace message. That was a that was a Star Trek reference. Sorry. Right. I thought subspace was from like Scott Pilgrim or oh, there's um that's the subspace highway. Yes, the subspace p- highway. Sorry, I'm just thinking about Scott Pilgrim now.
1: Yeah, it's good. Have you seen the anime? I've seen half of it. My my sister was annoyed that it was that it like went from a straightforward adaptation into something quite different. But I was like, cool, you know, the comics exist, the movie exists. Let's get something else.
0: Yeah, I think ad- the joy of adaptation is sometimes do, have, making a twist and making it into its own piece of art is a very exciting thing to do. So I'm really, I was really glad when it went the way that it went. Um, but this isn't a Scott Pilgrim podcast. Um, should we wrap up? Yeah, let's wrap up. We've been
1: going for long enough. So thank you for listening to Davis on Davis. Join us next time for Queer as Folk Series 2, Part 1. And you can follow me on Louis on Air on Instagram and Louis on The Air on Twitter. Follow us on Davis on Davis and check out Lit Lab London if you want to see what science communication stuff I'm doing. Zach, do you have anything to plug
0: yourself shall i plug my personal socials for the very first time why not now you can follow me um you might be able to tell rather like vince and stewart in this episode i'm a bit obsessed um with doctor who so i've got a bit i've got a doctor who themed uh, username so please don't make fun of me um, but if you can name all the Doctor Who's you'll be able to find me at William Hartnell Patrick Charlton John Pertwee Tom Baker Peter Davison Colin Baker Sylvester McCoy Paul McGann John Hurt Christopher Eccleston David Tennant Matt Smith Peter Capaldi Jodie Whittaker David Tennant again and Shooter Gatwa Owen oh, Joe Martin as well let's not forget her um, that's on all social medias um, that's where you can find me thank you very much
1: great I'm sure you'll get a nice influx of, um, of followers now that people have been you know suspense has been built up for this moment
0: alright see you next time guys bye